Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Hey, welcome back. This is Audrey Rinlisbacher, the founder of the Mission Driven Mom and author of The Mission Driven Life. Super excited to talk to you for a few minutes today. If you've been liking this podcast, please continue to share it out. We were super excited to find out we were on the top 40 list on Feedspot, as I mentioned last podcast. And so your sharing and liking and reviewing is really helping us. If you're not part of the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group, we'd love to have you join us over there as we continue to talk about the podcast throughout the week. I recently picked up an article by Martin Luther King Jr. He's one of my favorite authors. I guess I have a lot of favorite authors, but it's just a little three, four page article called An Experiment in Love. And he's kind of explaining what nonviolence is. And he lists six principles of nonviolence. And I want to share some of what he talks about at the beginning of this article and then tie it back to what it has to do with us as mothers and why maybe we should strive to understand this better and to care and to implement it. So he says that the movement has been governed by guiding principles. And he goes on to say, it was the Sermon on the Mount rather than a doctrine of passive resistance that initially inspired the Negroes of Montgomery to dignified social action. It was Jesus of Nazareth that stirred the Negroes to protest with the creative weapon of love. As the days unfolded, however, the inspiration of Mahatma Gandhi began to exert its influence. So what happened was that the movement began and they were starting to um, try to figure out how to move forward in kind of making a statement against what was happening with segregation. And a woman named Miss Juliet Morgan wrote into the Montgomery Advertiser and compared the bus protest to the Gandhian movement in India. And this sparked King's interest, and he did more research about it and came to see that he should use that same methodology in his application of love in the uh, civil rights movement. So he says, in other words, Christ furnished the spirit and motivation while Gandhi furnished the method. So I already was familiar with that. You may be familiar with that. It's really quite fascinating and inspiring. And he talks about how he, the, the, the white men and the black men and women were joining together to fight this segregation and racial fight. And he mentions that, you know, what they were trying to accomplish on Sunday mornings in the sermons was actually being accomplished out on the streets during the work as they joined together in Christian love to try to make a difference. So then he goes on to say, when he met with, now, one of the things that I did know about this movement was that if you wanted to be part of this movement with um, Martin Luther King Jr., then you had to kind of go to kind of a training. 
And the purpose of this was to help you understand these tenets and principles of nonviolence so that you could adhere to, um, you would have an understanding of the guiding principles, the, the guiding ideas, and you could be committed to them morally and ethically to give you the strength to do what you needed to do out on the street. And one of the things that he talks about would talk about with them in these trainings is that they needed to expect to suffer, to be hit, to be in pain and not to fight back. And so he says that when, um, he would meet with them and talk with them about how this was going to work, he said, I stressed that the use of violence in our struggle would be both impractical and immoral to meet hate with retaliatory hate would do nothing but intensify the existence of evil in the universe. Hate begets hate. So our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. He goes, then goes on to say, um, in a real sense, Montgomery's Negroes showed themselves willing to grapple with a new approach to the crisis of right of race relations. Admittedly, admittedly nonviolence is the, in the truest sense is not a strategy that one uses simply because it is expedient at the moment. Nonviolence is ultimately a way of life that men live because of the sheer morality of its claim. But even granting this, the willingness to use nonviolence as a technique is a step forward. For he who goes this far is more likely to adopt nonviolence later as a way of life. And it was this phrase, a way of life that he used twice in this last quote that really caught my attention. Because I think up until this moment, I, I saw this, I saw nonviolence as I don't like a, like a social method, right? Like true, uh, principle centered, effective. It's drawn from the new Testament when, uh, Christ said to turn the other cheek when you're struck to not return violence with violence. And, um, and so I kind of just thought of it in social terms, kind of something that's out there that you could use in these types of circumstances. But then he's saying, actually, these people change the way that they live their lives. They change the way that they thought about things and interacted. It actually became a way of life. So I'm thinking about myself as a mother, and I'm thinking about all of us mission-driven moms out there who who want to be our best and help our families be our best and to raise ourselves above you know, the evil in the world. And he's talking about this as a tactic with which to resist evil always at all times. So that's just, that's really, that's really kind of bringing it home, right? So, so I'm reading further and I'm really thinking about this. He says, um, it must be emphasized that nonviolent resistance is not a method for cowards. It does resist. You can't use it because you're afraid or you don't have the instruments of violence. You're doing it instead of, of violence. So he goes on to say, it is ultimately the way of the strong man. It is not a method of stagnant passivity. Um, 
The phrase passive resistance often gives the false impression that this is a sort of do-nothing method in which the resistor quietly and passively accepts evil, but nothing is further from the truth. For while the nonviolent resistor is passive in the sense that he is not physically aggressive toward his opponent, his mind and emotions are always active, constantly seeking to persuade his opponents that he is wrong. The method is passive physically, but strongly active spiritually. And that's his first principle of um, nonviolent resistance. So really, it's, it's starting me thinking down this path about, okay, so what does that have to do with me as a mom, and how could nonviolent resistance become a way of life for me? That I would not ever be physically aggressive, and I would always be strongly active spiritually, have my mind awake and my emotions awake, and be resisting evil at every turn. Well, I think just in asking that question and in framing this in that way, you can begin to see where this might open up for us as mothers in, in a real practical principles, principle centered way to approach life and to approach our parenting, right? So the first principle is this, this idea that we, that our minds and emotions are always active, that we're strongly spiritually active in resisting evil. And then the second principle is um, you do not seek to defeat or humiliate the opponent, but to win his friendship and understanding. He goes on, it's a means to awaken a sense of moral shame in the opponent. Your goal is redemption and reconciliation. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. Oh, my heavens. Okay. So that really started to open my eyes to what this might be able to, to do for me as a, as a mom, um, in my own heart, it might begin to transform my own heart and what it might do in my home and in my broader community, because my home is a, is, is a small community, right? And then I'm part of this, this broader community around me. And so, um, my goal is to create a beloved community. And what I have to do is to resist evil everywhere all the time with nonviolent resistance, which is active spiritually. So then he goes on and teaches the third principle. It is the method, um, it is the, the attack is directed against forces of evil rather than against persons who happen to be doing the evil. Okay. And this reminds me of something that we talk about in the, in the academy, it reminds me of many things in the academy because one of our primary focuses is on love and understanding love and getting clear about the, about what love is. But what it made me think of is something that I, God taught me many years ago, and that is that someone else's bad behavior 
is never an excuse for my bad behavior. So if that's a true principle, and I believe it is, then what I'm trying, what I'm attempting to do every day is to not be a product of my environment. What I'm trying to do is be a product of the principles and the truths that I know to I know to be right, right? What I'm attempting to do is, regardless of my circumstances and environment, to transcend that. And in relationship to this, um, this nonviolent resistance, what I'm attempting to do is to meet all evil with love. Okay. And so I've got to understand the principles of nonviolent resistance in order to do that. So he goes on with this third principle and he explains, you're creating tension on purpose because what you could do is just ignore it. And I'm going to get into some parental examples in a, in a minute that I think are really going to bring this to life. But just we'll just talk about a, a few more of these principles first so that you can see them kind of in action in, in these examples. So instead of allowing what's happening to continue to happen because you know that it is out of line with truth and with principles. You know that in some sense or other, it's evil because it's out of line with God's laws. Okay. So it's contrary to what's true and what's right and what's real. So you're trying to create tension rather than just letting things go. And the tension is at bottom between justice and injustice between, this is, this is the king, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And if there is a victory, it will be a victory, not merely for, he's talking about the Negroes, but not merely for the people who seem like they won, but it's a victory for justice and the forces of light. We are out to defeat injustice, not other people. Okay. So anything that is not just which would be anything that's out of line with natural law is an evil. Because remember, he goes on to say that when we react to anything, we're not proactive, like Covey talks about, we're reactive and we rebuttal with evil in some way. So let's say, for example, someone mistreats you in some way or, or your child is disobedient in some way and you you respond to that, you react to that with another evil. So you're letting their bad behavior dictate how you will respond. You are a product of your environment instead of transcending it. And you respond to that behavior, you know, maybe with some kind of violence, maybe your, your physical, your facial expressions, maybe the words that you use, maybe your sarcasm, maybe you yell, but maybe you internalize it and you, and you, uh, respond by ignoring it or resenting it. All of those are non loving responses. All of those increase according to King. And I think he is right. The evil in the world you've added to it. Okay. And it's, I know it's a tall order and I'm not saying any of us are going to be anywhere near perfect at this, but it's a, it's such an elevated, ennobling idea to strive for. And, and as we build our community of mission-driven mothers, we can help each other to do this, right? We can support each other in this, in this goal and objective that we have. So 
So we're trying to transcend our environment, not, not respond with more evil or aggression or passivity, which would also be a non-loving response. And I have some past podcasts that, that do, that quote some peck and that, that talk about this idea of love being, uh, an, an, an action. It is proactive. It requires hard work. It's about decision-making. It's about judgment. It's about, um, discernment and it's active and it's hard work. In fact, just as a reminder, this is the definition of love that we use in the MDM Academy. And we analyze it from every angle and look at it and ponder it and really try to understand it. It's from Scott Peck, the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. And with with Peck, we agree that um, the spiritual is the whole person, right? It's the soul. So anytime we are striving to nurture our own soul or another's, we are truly loving. And sometimes that means to pull back. And sometimes that means to, to take, to take affirmative action. So let me point out this fourth principle of, um, of nonviolent resistance. He says, it is a willingness to accept suffering without retaliation. Now, I don't know if you've, you've probably noticed this, but families can be places of great suffering. They are perhaps the places of greatest suffering. They are definitely the places of greatest joy. They are the places where we really live. They are the world we really live in. And, um, I love, I love this quote. This is actually Gandhi. He says, Things of fundamental importance to people are not secured by reason alone, but have to be purchased with their suffering. If you really ponder anything of real value to you in your life, you will, you will realize that you had to suffer to obtain it. Whether it was long hours of work and self-discipline and struggle to, to gain financial independence, whether it was the suffering required to give birth to a child, whether it was the suffering necessary in your relationship with your spouse or to what, what, you know, suffering through health trials and, and transcending your old practices with better practices, whatever it is that has brought you joy in your life, anything that is truly worthwhile must be suffered. You must suffer to gain it. Okay. And so in order to use nonviolent resistance, we have to recognize that we're going to suffer now often. And we don't think of these things as suffering, but they are because they're work. Often that suffering comes in the form, especially for us mothers, it comes in the form of being awake, like really mentally awake. It comes in the form of making judgments with wisdom. It comes in the form of making decisions. Oh, sometimes... I am so done with making decisions and remaking whatever stupid job chart. And I just kind of want to give up, you know, but real love will suffer through that because that's what love really is. Um, this fifth principle is absolutely beautiful. Nonviolent resistant of resistance avoids internal violence of spirit. The nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. 
Along the way of life, someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate. This can only be done by projecting the ethic of love to the center of our lives. And it is um, the love of God operating the human heart. And again, he goes back to this idea that it is about community. It is about seeing everyone, including our children, as our neighbor our spouse as our neighbor, as part of our community and nurturing our community by doing our utmost to always respond to whatever evil is happening, whatever misbehavior, whatever bad attitude, whatever lack of character with an increase of love. So as moms, we kind of tend to, we want to be in the middle of two extremes, okay? And I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but but these two extremes are really danger zones. And they're really where our children become the victims of our non-loving way of being. The first one is kind of a, a laziness. It's a boundarylessness. It's an unwillingness to assert ourselves, to defend ourselves, to demand respect for ourselves, to... Um, to have appropriate boundaries, to face the anger um, and resistance of our children because it's easier to not resist. And it's important to remember that 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 King says it is nonviolent resistance. We are resisting whatever is harmful for that child and we are doing it to build what King calls that beloved community, that environment that we all want to live in and to aid our children um, in becoming part of that community. So our laziness in not being willing to assess what's really happening and to truly parent and love by nurturing our children's spiritual growth is, is a great detriment to our children. It's a great detriment to ourselves. We often don't put boundaries in place with ourselves. We don't demand respect of ourselves. We talk down to ourselves. We're quite actually quite aggressive and mean with ourselves. We don't utilize this nonviolent resistance in ourselves and resist only the evil in ourselves and not the good in ourselves and to detach our identity from maybe bad behaviors to extend forgiveness and charity to ourselves, all those things, right? Like this, this one concept, this one first principle of nonviolent resistance um, that is that is drawn from the teachings of Christ is just so, the implications of it are just numberless. So then the other way that as moms that we can wind up on an extreme is that we want to be the attentive, loving mother. And so we over protect. One of the, one of the stories that, that really exemplifies this well is the story of Sleeping Beauty. When um, they have a, a, a coming out party for the, well, they have for their, not a coming out party, sorry. They have a, a party for their daughter. She's a, a baby and they want everyone in the kingdom to meet her. I don't know, maybe she's one or two or something like that. And they have this party for her, but they don't invite the, the witch. And in symbolic terms, that's as if they're trying to create a pseudo reality for her and to shelter her from all evil and to try to raise her in an environment where she's not exposed to reality and to the negative and evil side of things. So she becomes weak. She's not able to resist 
the real evil in the world because they refuse to, and then they put her in another sheltered environment with the fairies and on it goes, um, not equipping her to handle it. And um, this kind of goes back, ties back a little bit into the Claim Your Blessings podcast when we talked about Christy and and being able, as you get older, part of becoming a true adult and and having the ability to resist evil is to look it look it in the face. So anyway, so we we become helicopter moms. And we we can do this a number of ways. We can do it like Sleeping Beauty's parents did it and try to uh, remove everything from our children's lives. Um, you know, we don't let them engage on any social media or have a phone until they're 18 years old. So they they come in, they're they're blindsided. They've never been mentored in it. They have no acquaintance with it whatsoever. It becomes part of their reality all in one fell swoop. And uh, they don't know how to navigate it. We also, um, you know, we show up at every single game, every single practice. I sometimes felt badly because I would drop my children off at soccer practice. And I would often be the only mother that didn't sit there or parent or sometimes both parents that didn't sit there and watch every single practice. I mean, I was at the games, but these parents were at every single practice. Not that that's not a bad thing. It's just indicative of a, of a larger framework that says to the child, you are the center of the universe. You don't need to change. You don't need to be different. We will cater to every need and whim you possibly could ever have. And then there again, um, totally unprepared for the adult reality uh, uh, of navigating themselves in the larger community. They think the world revolves around them. And, and I know people like this and they go get their first real job and they treat other people rudely and they think that everybody should cater to their needs and they, they can't survive because they don't know how to meet the demands of the larger community. Now, in Jordan Peterson's new book, 12 Rules for Life, he has one um, one of the rules, and I love the title of it. It is, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. And, and really what he's talking about is that we have um, an obligation to help our children become part of the of the beloved community that King is talking about. And it begins in our homes by helping them learn how to navigate themselves socially by telling them no and setting up boundaries and not passively letting whatever happens happens because you're either being, you know, a lazy mom or a helicopter mom and catering to their every whim or letting them always get away with it. It is not good for them. We must be non-violent resistors. So they scream for what they want in the store. It's selfish. It's just evil. Now they're not evil, but that behavior is not socially acceptable. It will get them nowhere and it's got to be nipped in the bud at a really young age. So here's, here's an example. I'm going to read to you from Jordan Peterson. I love this story he shares. My clinical clients frequently come to me to discuss their day-to-day familial problems. Um, Such Quidditchian concerns are insidious. Their habitual, predictable occurrence makes them appear trivial, but that appearance of triviality is deceptive. It is the things that occur every single day that truly make up our lives, and time spent the same way over and again adds up at an alarming rate. 
One father recently spoke with me about the trouble he was having put his, putting his son to sleep at night, a ritual that typically involved about three quarters of an hour of fighting. We did the arithmetic. 45 minutes a day, seven days a week. That's 300 minutes or five hours a week. Five hours for each of the four weeks of a month, that's 20 hours a month. 20 hours a month for 12 months is 240 hours a year. That's a month and a half of standard 40-hour work weeks. My client was spending a month and a half of work weeks per year fighting ineffectually and miserably with his son. Needless to say, both were suffering for it. No matter how good your intentions or how sweet and intolerant, uh, sweet and tolerant your temperament, you will not maintain good relations with someone you fight with for a month and a half of work weeks per year. Resentment will inevitably build. Even if it doesn't, all that wasted unpleasant time could clearly be spent in more productive and useful and less stressful and more enjoyable activity. How are such situations to be understood? Where does the fault lie in child or parent in nature or society? And he goes on to talk about how important it is that we don't be passive parents and that we set these boundaries with our children so that they learn to um, not be the center of the universe and to be considerate of others and to look out for others, to not be selfish, to learn to share, to not try to get negative attention, to be self-managing, to gain self-mastery, and to be empathic and have real skills of empathy. These are all so necessary to their growth. He says, it is so wrong of a parent to allow a child to consistently misbehave, especially in public. If they misbehave at home, they'll misbehave in public and they'll embarrass themselves and bring the contempt of others on them. And they'll see that contempt in the eyes and the faces of the people around them and it will make them not like themselves and they won't gain the social skills they need. He says, because children like other human beings are not only good, they cannot simply be left to their own devices untouched by society and bloom into perfection. Even dogs must be socialized if they are to become acceptable members of the pack and children are much more complex than dogs. This means that they are much more likely to go complexly astray if they are not trained, disciplined, and properly encouraged. This means that it is not just wrong to attribute all the violent tendencies of human beings to the pathologies of social structure. It's wrong enough to be virtually backward. The vital process of socialization prevents much harm and fosters much good. Children must be shaped and informed or they cannot thrive. This fact is reflect reflected starkly in their behavior. Kids are utterly desperate for attention from both peers and adults because such attention, which renders them effective and sophisticated communal players, is vitally necessary. It is an act of responsibility to discipline a child. It is not anger at misbehavior. It is not revenge for a misdeed. It is instead a careful combination of mercy and long-term judgment. Proper discipline requires effort, indeed is virtually synonymous with effort. It is difficult to pay careful attention to children. It is difficult to figure out what is wrong and what is right and why. It is difficult, difficult to formulate just and, and compassionate strategies of discipline and to negotiate their application with others deeply involved in a child's care. Because of this combination of responsibility and difficulty, any suggestion that all constraints placed on children are damaging can be perversely welcome. Such a notion once accepted allows adults who should know better to abandon their duty to serve as agents of enculturation. He goes on to talk about its deep and pernicious act of self-deception, its lazy, cruel, and inexcusable. 
And uh, it's very, very damaging to the child, to their ability to love themselves and um, their ability to become part of the community when we don't live these principles of nonviolent resistance to evil. And we see them for who they are. We love them as a person, but we resist any and all evil behavior that they're involved in. Um, King goes on to say, this is about agape, which is goodwill. It's the love of God. And he says, another basic point about agape is that it springs from the need of the other person, his need for belonging to the best in the human family. Um, that is what we give ourselves and our children when we engage in this action when we learn to really love them properly to resist the evil and to live these principles and i will put these these six principles on the um podcast post page at the missiondrivenmom.com so that you can have all of them he goes on to say Agape is not a weak, passive love. It is love in action. It is a willingness to go to any length to restore community. It is willingness to forgive seven times 70. Um, I can only close the gap in broken community by meeting hate with love. And he goes on to say, to the degree that I harm my brother, no matter what he is doing to me, to that extent, I am harming myself. We do harm ourselves when we don't build community in our homes through our non-resistant love of ourselves and our children. I'll, I'm going to read one thing from Scott Peck. It, it, I, I know I quoted it other places too, but I want to bring it forward again because this non-resistant, this non-violent resistance can begin with ourselves. He says, we are incapable of loving another unless we love ourselves, just as we are incapable of teaching our children self-discipline unless we ourselves are self-disciplined. It is actually impossible to forsake our own spiritual development in favor of someone else's. We cannot forsake self-discipline and at the same time be disciplined in our care for another. We cannot be a source of strength unless we nurture our own strength. As we proceed in our exploration of the nature of love, I, will be, I believe it will become clear that not only do self-love and love of others go hand in hand, but that ultimately they are indistinguishable. And that is why we have to first... Um, not and not prime not not only but in addition to loving our family and loving our children loving ourselves in this way being non-violently resistant to any and all evil within ourselves learning to accept the truth about things that we need to change but also taking the time to forgive ourselves and pat ourselves on the back for those things that are well done um i watched a video recently with simone biles um, she continues to do new, the greatest gymnast that's ever lived. If you don't know who she is. And she, she said something that really was interesting to me. She's doing new tricks that no one has ever done before. She already has two named after her and has, is doing more that have never been done. And when they were interviewing her after a recent competition and they were asking her what her experience was like, she said that in practice, she continually amazes herself. Now that may sound prideful, but it's also true. There have been many times I'm sure in your life when you've amazed yourself. And so you should, you should focus on that as a, as an opportunity to be truthful with yourself about who you are. So anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but, um, we do want to live these principles of nonviolent 
resistance because they build loving communities, because we respond to evil and hatred and selfishness and and contention and laziness with love. Scott Peck said that the opposite of love is not hatred, it's laziness. And so our our job as moms is to stay awake and to stay aware and to be as loving as we humanly can. Principle number six, I'll end with this. A sixth basic fact about nonviolent resistance is that it is based on the conviction that the universe is on the side of justice. Consequently, the believer in nonviolence has deep faith in the future. This faith is another reason why the nonviolent resistor can accept suffering without retaliation, for he knows that in his struggle for justice, he has cosmic companionship. There is a creative force in this universe that works to bring the disconnected aspects of reality into a harmonious whole. That's what we can put our trust and faith in, that there is natural law, that there are first principles, one of them being nonviolent resistance, and that from them, from that first principle flows these six principles that we can take action on today. We can begin with ourselves and build more loving and... Um, and interdependent communities in our homes and then bring that love and interdependence to the larger community around us and make the world really and truly in reality a better place. Thank you so much for joining me. If you don't have your copy of The Mission Driven Life, please head on over to themissiondrivenmom.com and get your free copy of the ebook and the audiobook and I will see you next time.